this kind of pessimistic narrative, which we've mostly imported from America, is simply inconsistent with reality. I think it's um, indicative of a wider problem. At the moment, in terms of culture, America is the metropole and the UK is basically a colony. There's this phrase uh, that, again, we borrow from America, which is, this is a country built, a nation of immigrants. I, I've read British history. Yeah. It's not a nation of immigrants. It's not. Why do we do that? Um, I, I think the reason why we do that is because we sort of don't want to concede any point to the sort of anti-immigrant, conservative or far-right, whatever you want to call them. But I think the best way to do that is to do it on the basis of truth. <laughs> yeah. Ra rather than <laughs> yeah. on the basis of any sort of myth-making. If you tell people um, enough times that they are the victims of racism, they are the victims of oppression, they are the victims of discrimination, they will inevitably see it everywhere. Hello and welcome to Trigonometry. I'm Francis Foster. I'm Constantine Kisson. And this is a show for you if you want honest conversations with fascinating people. Our brilliant guest today is a journalist and writer whose first book, first book, is called This Is Not America, which is absolutely true. This is why you're here, by the way, because mm -hmm. I keep saying this and no one listens, mm -hmm. right? You're making this point now. <laughs> That's why you're here. Let's talk about it. But before we do, tell everybody, who are you, uh, Tamiwa Awalari? Uh, what's been your journey through life? How are you here? Thank you very much for getting me on this program. I've been a long-term listener um, and watcher of this show, so it's a great privilege to be invited on. Um, as you said, I'm a writer. Um, I'm also a journalist. Mm -hmm. I've written for various UK publications, such as The New Statesman, The Times, The Sunday Times, The Observer. Um, before that, I worked as a tutor in a, in a secondary school. Um, I used to teach English um, to kids that were struggling. Um, and I also did this during lockdown as well. Um, so I'm familiar with online teaching and the perils of that. Um, before that, I was a master's student. So I studied English for undergraduate and I did a master's as well in English. And I thought about going into academia, um, being a lecturer, professor and so forth. But I grew slightly disillusioned with academia. I found the kind of orthodoxy that I witnessed in academia very stifling, very conformist. Um, and I also grew disillusioned with the academic style of writing. Um, I discovered that I prefer a more journalistic style of writing, a writing that's more clearer, more lucid, more concise. Um, so that's, that's, that's why I decided to um, do some freelance journalism on the side whilst also being a tutor in a secondary school after academia. Um, I was born in Nigeria and I moved to the UK when I was nine. Um, and I guess that's, that's most of my story. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, before we talk about the book, and I just think it's such an important message for us to get into. Uh, you mentioned the heter the not the heterodoxy, quite the opposite, the orthodoxy, orthodoxy yes, uh, yes. in academia. Yes. Uh, what was it that you felt was stifling or sort of locked into a particular worldview? So this actually connects um, to why I decided to write the book in the first place. Um, so a big part of the orthodoxy in academia. Um, was about social and cultural issues relating to race and identity. Um, 
So at the very start of the book, I explain why um, I decided to write the book in the first place, which is at UCL, um, one of my one of my one of my alma maters, um, there was an open letter sent by the master's students at UCL to the English faculty, accusing the English faculty of racism um, because there were not that many black authors and black texts in the um, syllabus. Um, but in that letter, one thing struck me, which is that these um, UK-based, mostly UK-based students use the term BIPOC to describe the racism experienced by British, by ethnic minority British people in the UK. Um, and for those of you that don't know, BIPOC is an acronym that stands for Black Indigenous People of Colour. Um, now, it would make sense for um, somebody like Nick Griffin to talk about protecting the indigenous communities of the UK. Nick Griffin, by the way, is a former far-right uh, yeah, politician. For, yeah, yeah. A leader, country, yeah. leader of the British National Party. Yeah. Um, what I found confusing is why um, a 22-year-old um, activist, left-wing activist um, in London would use a term like indigenous. Mm. Um, Hitler was quite left wing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, well, I, so I was struck and I think it's illustrative, it's symptomatic of a wider problem, which is that when we think and talk about race and racism, we do it through an American perspective. Uh, and what you mean is we download that and apply it to the British context. Yeah, exactly, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Why is that? Why is that? Mm. Why do we do that? Because mm. surely we have lived the experience. Mm. <laughs> And, and that means we understand yes. that things are different and yeah. the UK is different from America. So, so why do we regurgitate the narratives without interrogating them in any shape or form? I think it's um, indicative of a wider problem. Um, so it's not just about race. Um, anyone that uses the internet will inevitably encounter American culture. Um, American culture influences the films we watch, the TV shows we watch, the music we listen to. Um, therefore, it makes sense that it would also influence the way we look at politics as well in the UK. Um, so I think it's not just um, a race thing. I think it's symptomatic of a wider problem, which is that um, at the moment, in terms of culture, America is the metropole and the UK is basically a colony. <laughs> I mean, it's a good point. And also as well, lockdowns. Mm, of course. Th uh, the killing of George Floyd. Yes, yes, that yes. must have had a huge impact on the way we talk about these subjects now. Yeah, exactly. I think lockdown played a key role as well because yeah. um, we were isolated and the only way that we could interact with other people was through the internet, was through social media. So we became more dependent upon social media to... Um, develop relationships to try to understand the world, basically. Um, and I think that's why it makes sense why the George Floyd protests mm -hmm. um, accelerated um, the ways in which when we think about race and racism, 
we do it through an American perspective. Mm. I think Rogan made this point actually mm. the other day. He gave us a shout out and he was mm. talking about how the informational landscape mm. is changing and he said trigonometry sort of in, in that mm. context. Yes. Uh, but I'm curious, um, before we talk about how Britain and America are different when mm. it comes to race, which mm. of course they are, mm. I also feel like uh, there's a lot of stuff going on at the moment where you're just going, like we keep being... A, dishonest mm. about these issues, but also there's lots of other stuff going on. So I'll give you an example. Uh, the BBC has just released a thing, mm. which is something, it's called something like Been Here All Along or yeah, something. Yeah, and yeah, it's basically yeah. trying to present the picture of like Britain from 2000 years ago being massively populated with black people. And when people pointed out how historically inaccurate this is, there's actually a quote from one of the producers basically saying, well, we've got to lie to make it work in the modern mm. context or mm. something. Yeah. And it's, I never understood this. Like, there's this phrase uh, that, again, we borrow from America, which is, this is a nation of immigrants. And I've read British history. Yeah. It's not a nation of immigrants. It's not. It's and not. I'm an immigrant. It doesn't make me feel better that yeah. we lie about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, why do we do that? Uh, I, I think the reason why we do that is because we sort of don't want to concede any point to the sort of anti-immigrant, mm. conservative or far right, whatever you want to call them. Um, but I think the best way to do that is to do it on the basis of truth <laughs> yeah. rather than <laughs> yeah. on the basis of any sort of myth-making. Right. Because if we concede the truth to sinister, nefarious actors, um, we are actually doing a disservice to ethnic minority people, people from immigrant community backgrounds. Um, so I think we should definitely base it on the truth rather than trying to um, feather sort of respect for um, ethnic minority people on the basis of something which a lot of people without any kind of ideological um, bias will know to be completely dishonest. And I was curious also what you made of the, there was a recent incident, as we said there, literally a couple of days sure, ago, sure. where a black woman yeah. didn't get a refund in a yeah. shop yeah. that's owned by a South Asian guy. Yeah, of she yeah. st basically tried to steal something. He took it off her. She started hitting him. He yeah. fought back. Yeah. And now this guy's in hiding because yeah. he's part of the white supremacist. The South Asian yeah. guy is a white yeah. supremacist. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just going, what, what, <laughs> what are any of you talking about? Yeah, it's, it's completely, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. But I think that also illustrates why terms like BAME, B-A-M-E, yes. um, is not really useful mm. because it assumes that the experiences and the values of all ethnic minority people in the UK are the same when it's obviously not the case. Um, Asian people can be prejudiced against black people. Black people can be prejudiced against Asian people. And to just assume that any kind of sort of conflict between these groups is a consequence of white supremacy is extremely condescending to these groups as well. Yeah, and it, it's also... It's just deeply weird. <laughs> it's deeply weird because you look at these people and you just think to themselves, I, 
what are you talking about? It, it doesn't make sense when you look at where this happened. It, it happened in Peckham. <laughs> and then for those people who've never been to Peckham, there's Don't not a lot Right, okay. But there's not a lot of white people there. <laughs> if you're going to look for Don't white... Don't go, but not for that reason. Exactly. It's just a shithole. Yeah, exactly. But you just go... You are not going to find a lot of white supremacy in Peckham. Well, actually, there are there are, there are some white people, but it's it's a certain kind of white people. Yeah. So it's, it's being gentrified. So it's yeah. a sort of liberal, youngish, progressive type. It's not it's not the kind of white people you'd normally associate with white supremacy. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and 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 this is it. And and I think this is really what we're mm. talking yeah. about. Where where what we is the people are living in a a fictional world. They're living in a world that they literally go, that they go online and they're being told that this world exists. Yes. And then they're living in this world and you go, but that is not reality in any shape or form. Yes. And no one's denying racism exists. Of course yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. There are racist people and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But that is not the experience of living in Peckham. Mm. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, one of the things that I try to get across in my writings is that all too often when we talk about race and um, discrimination, it's done with, um, it's done through a very abstract perspective. It's done with a lot of theory, a lot of buzzwords, without any reference to the actual, um, to use a fashionable term, lived experiences of, of, of ethnic minority people and also white British people as well. Um, because their experiences can't simply be reduced to being victims of racism. Um, and in fact, that kind of perspective to simply say that as a black person, as an Asian person, your experiences of living in the UK can be explained entirely through racism. That's, that's a completely, um, I think that's a profoundly damaging distortion of the actual experiences, the actual complex experiences. And I think that also denigrates their humanity as well, to simply consider them as purely victims of racism rather than as complex, fully embodied people. Because there are instances where you go, I, so take Windrush, for example. Of course, yes. I'm not, I don't know how much of that is racist, but you could. But it's pretty obvious that yeah. these people, these these immigrants at the time and British citizens were horrendously badly treated. Yeah, of course. Let's talk about that. Let's yeah, talk course. about how we can ensure that yes, doesn't happen. Yes, yes, yeah. And I think Windrush is, a, is an excellent example because Windrush is something which is very much specific to a UK context. Mm. You can't really translate the experience of Windrush to, say, America, for example, because you can't really call black Americans an immigrant community no. um, because um, the vast majority of black Americans are descendants from descendants of enslaved Africans that were transported um, to America between the 17th and the 19th centuries. Um, in fact, the average black American can trace their ancestry further back than the average white American um, because, of course, um, a lot, most white Americans um, are descendants um, not only from like the sort of English um, founders of America, but also like successive waves of European immigration um, from the middle of the 19th century onwards. Um, so you can't really, so you can, you, can, you can make the argument that black Americans are almost like an indigenous community mm -hmm. <laughs> to America, um, but you can't say the same with black British people. 
um, because um, the most, the vast majority of Black British people are immigrants or the children, children of immigrants, um, not even from the Caribbean, because um, 25 years ago, the um, vast majority of Black British people were Black Caribbean people. But over the past 25 years, there's been a massive influx of immigration from Africa, which means that the majority of Black British people um, today are Black Africans. In fact, there are twice as many Black African people as there are Black Caribbean people. But this isn't really incorporated into discussions of race and racism enough. No, absolutely. And I was going to ask you about, uh, you split your book into mm. two yeah, sections, really. Course, you you yeah. say, this is America, and you talk about <laughs> yeah, what America yeah, exactly. is. And then most of the book is yeah. about this is Britain. Yeah. So what are some of the big differences? Now, one of them you've just pointed out, which is the majority of black people in this country today are actually not the descendants of slaves. Yeah, that's true. Uh, whereas in America, it's obviously the other way around. Yeah. Uh, what else is different? Uh, I think another key difference is that in the UK, we don't have that particular history of institutionalized segregation that um, America obviously has. Um, so in the UK, for example, interracial marriage has never been banned. Um, and in the UK, um, black people and Asian people have never been barred from voting. Um, so that particular historical legacy in America simply doesn't apply in the UK context. Um, I think another key difference is that in the UK, um, there are many, um, that there is, there is much more internal diversity um, within the black British population than there is um, in America, I would argue. Um, so in the UK, um, you've got black Caribbean people, um, black West African people, um, black East African people, um, and various other black communities. So even to use a term like black British, is to, um, we need to acknowledge that there is diversity within that term. So in terms of education, for example, the experiences of black Caribbean people um, are very different to the experiences of black African people. And from what I hear, you know, particularly at school, those two groups of kids may not get on that well, and it's not because of white supremacy. Yeah, either. yeah, yeah. So in fact, um, it's changed now, but when I was growing up, um, Black Africans, um, recent immigrants in particular, were often looked down upon. Um, there was a term at school when I was growing up called freshy, to be called fresh, uh, which means fresh off the boat. Right. <laughs> um, fresh so, is cool now, isn't it? It is cool now. It yeah. is cool now. And I think that's because of like things like um, Afrobeats, which is a kind of popular West African music. Um, but when I was growing up, um, which wasn't too long ago, um, to be called fresh or freshy was used as an insult, often directed at um, black African immigrants or, or, or recent or like black African like people in general. Um, but but I, and, and I think one of the other key differences is that um, in terms of something like exclusion, um, black Caribbean pupils are more than twice as likely to be excluded from schools as black African people. Um, black African people also have um, better GCSE grades, better A-level grades. Um, 
And I think not acknowledging these differences um, is very important because if we genuinely care about the social inequalities um, in our society, um, we need to recognize these specific differences rather than making generalizations based on race. Um, and I think I should also emphasize that when I say Black Caribbean pupils, I'm specifically referring to Black Caribbean boys. So Black Caribbean girls tend to do much better in terms of education than Black Caribbean boys. Um, but I should also um, acknowledge the fact that the ethnic minority um, group that does least well in education um, are the Roma traveler um, gypsy communities. Um, they tend to do least well, uh, and they're often sort of seen as white. Um, so it shows that when we try to, when we, when we think about inequalities in education, simply looking at it through the lens of race is completely inadequate. Hey Francis, why should you always use ExpressVPN? Uh, to stop people finding out you frequent websites like I love powerfulfeminist.com. I really wish I hadn't heard that. Francis, how about we explain it like this? Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving the keys in your car's ignition while you nip into the petrol station. Most of the time, you'll probably be okay. But what if you come back to see someone driving off with your car? Wouldn't happen to me, mate. Why not? I don't drive. It's a meta... Never mind. Plus, when I pass my test, I'm going to use my dad's car, and that breaks down every 10 minutes. It's a metaphor. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network in cafes, hotels, airports, anyone on that network can gain access to your personal data, like passwords, financial details, and so on. And it doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. A smart 12-year-old could do it. Even I could do it. Wouldn't go that far. Your data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person selling personal information on the dark web. ExpressVPN helps to keep you safe by creating a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet so that hackers can't steal your sensitive data. It's super secure. It'd take a hacker with a supercomputer over a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. It's also dead easy to use. Fire up the app and click one button to get protected. And it works on all devices, phones, laptops, tablets, and more, so you can stay secure on the go. We use ExpressVPN at Trigonometry, as it's a simple, easy, and effective way to protect your data. And this means I can watch my feminist websites in peace. I'm ignoring that. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash trigger. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash trigger and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash trigger. It's, it's such a good point. I always remember when we were talking about this with Tony Saul and in preparation for the interview yeah. I read I read his report and the education uh, section I found particularly fascinating mm. one of the highest achieving subgroups in all of education is West African girls mm. they mm. are mm. crushing it yeah they are. And, and this is what frustrates me because all we do is talk about the negatives of why course. can't we celebrate them yeah going yeah. You, yeah, you're brilliant why, isn't, why can't we go that's amazing or, or celebrate um british chinese pupils british indian pupils they also yeah. do extremely well in terms of education as well um so this kind of pessimistic narrative which we've mostly imported from america mm. 
as simply inconsistent with reality, basically. And it's also the message that it's sending out to mm. these kids, which yeah, is, oh, you, you're never going to succeed. You're yeah. never going to. You're never yeah. going to achieve anything. Racism is everywhere. Yeah. And then you look at the actual stats, mm. and th it doesn't bear any relation to yeah, the truth. Of course, of course. Yeah, that kind of um, paralyzing fatalism. Mm. Um, exactly. It, it's not good for the, the kind of the self confidence that we need to inculcate in. Um, whether black or Asian kids, um, because um, if you tell people um, enough times that they are the victims of racism, they are the victims of oppression, they are the victims of discrimination, they will inevitably see it everywhere. That kind of self-reinforcing mechanism, they will completely imbibe it um, and they would be unable to actually acknowledge the fact that, no, this is not the case. Um, of course, there's still racism in the UK, but to define the experiences of black or Asian people entirely through the perspective of, of racism or race is completely, um, is, is completely inimical to what we should try to um, imbibe in them, which is the truth, basically. And I, think, and I think that that is one of the key aspects of my writing. I'm concerned with what is actually going on, whether something is actually true or not. Well, that's the most important thing because that then allows you, if you're talking about policy or of whatever, course, to make course. the right decisions. Yes. But I was curious at the individual level, do you think that this um, very simplistic, victimhood-driven worldview, do you think that is landing with people, you know, you're in your sort of mid to late 20s, your generation and younger, do you feel that people, young people from ethnic minority backgrounds are being persuaded to see themselves in this way, are being persuaded to think that, you know, that life here is terrible? Sure. And that, yeah. Do you think they are? I, I think it's a mixed bag. So I think amongst um, some young ethnic minority people, they do definitely um, imbibe that kind of message. Um, and the ones that do sort of imbibe that kind of message are the ones that are often invited onto TV shows <laughs> and invited on to write um, newspaper columns and magazine articles. The ones that don't really imbibe that kind of message um, just get on with their lives, basically. Mm. <laughs> they're, they're not really political in that sense. They just get on with their lives and just... Um, Go and get yeah. a banking job yeah. or yeah, yeah, a yeah, 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 job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But exactly. I, think, I think it's great that you're here because I do think it's really important um, that people who don't imbibe that narrative don't yeah. just go and get a job. <laughs> yeah, yes, you know yeah, what I mean? Because we, we, they need to speak. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, of course. And, and it's good to have you you speaking about it. But I'm curious, you mentioned the disparities between different groups. Sure. And this is the question that when it comes down to this issue, no one really wants to dig into, mm. honestly. Yeah. Why do different groups perform differently? If, if let's say... West African girls yeah, yeah. are doing the best in education. We yeah. can conclude from that that whatever whatever role places racism plays in sure. people's outcomes, yeah. it's not inhibiting them yeah. as much as it's inhibiting someone else. So why would that be for why would Caribbean boys be getting excluded at a rate that's crazy yeah. compared to everybody else? And no one wants to talk about things like culture and all sorts yeah, of other fam, fam, family, family formation, structure, family yeah. structure. So so what and why, class as well. And class. Yeah. 
So tell us about that. What are the differences? Yeah, yeah. So it, it's all of those things. It's um, family structure. It's um, culture. It's class. Um, so many West African um, immigrant communities, they most of them came, as I said earlier, um, over the past 25, 30 years. Um, and they've arrived from independent African countries. Um, so with the Windrush generation, a lot of them arrived from um, Caribbean colonies. So they were basically going to the motherland, essentially. Um, whereas with recent African um, immigrant communities, they've arrived um, from independent African countries. And many of them um, were already university educated in Africa. Um, so when they've, when, they, when they've arrived in the UK, there is that particular expectation that they want their kids to be university, at least university educated as well. So there is that attitude of emphasizing the importance of education. Um, education is absolutely critical to the way that many of these West African families conceive of themselves. Uh, things like education, things like religion, things like a strong family network, um, all of them absolutely critical. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why, for example, many West African families that live in Southeast London are absolutely desperate to get their kids to be sent to the grammar schools in Kent. Um, because if you, if you go to any grammar school in Kent, one of the striking things is the number of West African kids <laughs> in these grammar schools. And I think that's because of that particular culture of educational aspiration. Yeah, it, look, and we all know this, but why is it that we can't talk about it? Why can't we have a simple, frank and honest conversation? Because race might play a factor, but it's certainly not the whole, not all of the equation. Yeah, because I think when we, when anyone makes this point, um, people would counter by saying, well, you're sort of victim blaming. You're saying, that, oh, this is the fault of black Caribbean people. This is the fault of black Caribbean culture. Um, and, and people also say, oh, you're denying the existence of racism. When in fact, what I'm saying and what many people are saying is that of course, racism might be a factor. And of course, racism still exists in the UK. What we're arguing is that we should not look at racism as the only factor. We should consider other things because it simply doesn't make sense to think that race is the only thing that shapes things like educational outcomes. Because if it did, we would not be able to explain the differences between various black groups. Tom... Here's a particularly unpleasant question, <laughs> but it needs to be asked. Okay. If your kid gets expelled, isn't it your fault? What, you mean the fault of the parents? Your fault of the parents. No, no, your fault. Yeah, yeah, your All fault. the children yeah, yeah, yeah. in the country exactly. that get expelled, isn't that because you, yeah. you, you didn't tutor them properly? Yeah, but as someone who yeah. taught for many years, yeah. you know, yeah. it takes a lot for a kid to get expelled. Mm. They, Increasingly so. Yeah, yeah. and you something has gone wrong. Yeah. And yeah. somebody needs to take the blame for it. Yeah, yeah. In, individual agency yeah. does matter. But I, but I think that we should also um, look at wider problems, mm -hmm. wider social. So if you've, say you're a young kid and you grew up without any sort of father figure mm -hmm. and you grew up in, in, a, in, a, in a place where there is mass poverty, in a place where the only role models in your society are 
basically um, criminals yeah. or, or like like gang people that are involved in gang communities. If you grow up within that particular environment, um, it would take a lot of individual willpower to be studious, to be um, focused on trying to better yourselves. Um, so I, I think we should not underestimate the extent to which peer pressure mm. plays a role because peer pressure is one of the most powerful social forces and it doesn't just apply to this situation and applies to many other situations um, so even though i do acknowledge that individual agency is important um, i think we should also consider other wider social factors as well well absolutely i mean environment is so important yeah, exactly. i remember uh one of our previous studios was in east london mm. and it was like an oasis it was a nice building yeah in the middle of a big council estate, sure. like a project in America, yeah. the projects. Yeah. And I remember Francis and I, during this was during COVID, would like go out for a walk. And the, just the environment itself was so depressing. I was like, if I lived here, I would be a different person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of you course, know what I mean? Of course, of course. So yeah. environment makes a big yeah, difference. Course, and your point definitely. about father figures and, and all of that is, is really true as well, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, Absolutely, man. The environment is huge. Mm, it yeah, is really yeah, impactful. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that is something that we, we need to acknowledge, which is that the environment of black people or ethnic minority people in general are not all the same. And it's a bit weird to sort of consider them to be the same because the environment of white people <laughs> isn't the same as well. So why should we assume that the environment of ethnic minority people would be the same? Isn't it a bit racist <laughs> to go, you're black, therefore you are going to behave exactly like this, have these yeah, opinions, yeah, 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 and yeah. probably be expelled from school? <laughs> I'm, I'm always reluctant to, to describe something as racist, but yeah. it is definitely patronising and it is, it is definitely um, counterproductive, especially if you consider yourself to be an avowed anti-racist to make generalizations based on race in that way. I think it shows um, an extreme lack of curiosity on your part to not wonder the differences, whether that be cultural, socioeconomic, um, differences in terms of religion, for example, uh, between these various um, racial or ethnic groups. And you, sorry. Go for it. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you alluded to this earlier about which Black voices, this is a very popular phrase now. Of course, yes. As yes. if they're not people, they just yeah, have the voice. Yeah. Which black voices get promoted yeah, in the media? Yeah, yeah. And as you probably know, I've had my clashes <laughs> with some of these people yeah. uh, on TV and stuff. And it always seems to be the crazier. The more, the more strident ones. The more strident is yeah. perhaps a kinder way to describe <laughs> it. Uh, the people who, who are really very, very extreme yeah. about what yeah, they believe. Of course, of course. And I just wonder whether they're representative of the average black person because mm. uh, that's not been my experience. Mm. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and I, do you know what? The media brainwashing is so powerful. Uh, we get so many black people coming up to us saying how much they enjoy the show. Yeah, and obviously yeah. this has been part of the message of the of course, show that, you, you know, being yeah. a victim is not good for you and all of that. Yeah. And even I, knowing that, every now and again I'm I'm, I'm a little bit surprised. I'm, I'm like, oh, wow, a black person likes us. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I know, I know that feeling. Th this yeah, thing yeah, is feeling. so powerful yeah, in our yeah, minds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I just, I wonder if you agree with me that I, 
well, or forget about agreeing with me, I wonder how representative you think the media conversation is to what ordinary black and brown and whatever people are sort of talking around the dinner table. It's not representative at all, would be my answer to that. Yeah. Because I, I think the actual experiences of black people um, um, are so diverse that to even use um, a term like black voice or the black community does a massive disservice to those different values, those right. different points of views, those different experiences. So I, I, I think, and, and the, kind, the kinds of things as well that black people often discuss, the kind of values that black people often espouse are often counter to the kind of values that many of these um, self-appointed um, black pundits or intellectuals or whatever you want to call them, what, what they express. Because I think one of the things about um, many black people in the UK, um, I'm thinking in particular of many black African communities, is the extent to which religion plays a pivotal role in how they see themselves. Um, and the kind of cultural or social conservatism, which is implied by that, is not something that we often discuss. Well, they don't have because... pride flags everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not something that um, is often um, discussed because that would lead to many awkward conversations. <laughs> and in fact, in fact, in fact I think, and I think it's and one thing I want to emphasize is that London is the most religious place in the UK. Mm. And really? London is the yeah, most... Because of ex yeah. And by the way, acceptance of LGBT... It's the most conservative. Yes. It's the most conservative in that respect. Yeah. And it's because it's of yeah. ethnic yeah. minorities. Well, well religious. Have a different set yeah. of values. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's not just, um, it's not just like the black or, no, or no. even or Asian Muslim. It's also like um, Eastern European immigrants as well who often tend to be quite Catholic as well yeah. um, in terms of their religious background. Um, so that's that's why um, there is that kind of tension, which is that in in the most multicultural parts of the country, you also get the most um, religious um, sensibilities which are expressed. And yet, at the same time, they, uh, the the white middle class liberal <laughs> expects all of these people to vote Labour yeah, and to have yeah. deeply progressive views. But they yeah. do, though. This is the question I was going to ask <laughs> yeah, you: yeah, is, they do. Why do, do big cities then? And it's it's not just yeah. London, obviously. But yeah. why do all the big cities? And you see it here yeah, yeah. and in America. Yeah, one true. of the uniting factors is yeah. they're always consistently left wing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is interesting, given what you're saying. Yeah. How do you explain yeah. that? Yeah, I think I think. Um, I think it's 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 just a kind of political tribalism, essentially, rather than any sorts of genuine consideration of the policies um, and the values that are embodied by any particular party. Um, so I think with voting preferences, it's it's often based on vibes. It's often based on any sort of um, pre-intellectual affiliation, rather than any genuine consideration of of any sorts of, of what the parties actually stand for. Do you think part of it is also as well that, you know, if you come from an ethnic minority, that automatically means that you are in the minority. Yeah. 
Yeah. And therefore, you are going to, you do not want to stand out as much because you don't want to be alienated from your tribe, whatever yeah. your tribe may be, yeah. by being conservative or saying, yeah. hey guys, I think this commentator is actually talking nonsense. <laughs> I think that is a part of it. Um, but I also think there's another striking dimension to discussions about diversity and politics. Um, so one of the interesting things about the UK is that in the Conservative Party, we, there are many um, prominent conservative politicians that come from an Asian background, mm -hmm. including our current prime minister, uh, Mr. Rishi Sunak. Um, but I think one dimension to this hasn't been spoken enough about, which is that many of these um, prominent Asian conservative politicians um, didn't arrive directly from Asia. They came through the roots of East Africa. Um, and, I think, um, and I think it makes sense why their families um, espouse conservative points of views, because um, if, if you come from, um, if your family comes from an East African um, country where um, they were basically kicked out, by the they were like the Jews of East Africa. Yeah, they were like the Jews. Of, they were, they were yeah. basically kicked out because they were considered parasites. Um, if you come from that particular background, it would make sense why you would not trust the government to solve all the issues in society. It would make sense why you wouldn't trust the state. It would make sense why you would emphasize the importance of family, the importance of individual striving, individual aspiration, if you come from that particular background. Um, and I think it does make sense why uh, people like Rishi Sunak um, and the other prominent conservative um, Asian politicians are, are conservative because of that particular um, background. And I think it also makes sense why somebody like um, Kemi Badenoch, um, who's also a very prominent um, conservative politician from a West African background, um, because even though she was born in the UK, she actually grew up in Nigeria. And when she was growing up in Nigeria, Nigeria was a military dictatorship. Um, so it would make sense why she's got many positive views about the UK. Hey Francis, do you dream of that clean shaven look but hate going through the hassle of a wet shave every day? Of course, because of disastrously low testosterone levels, I can only grow a moustache reminiscent of a cross between Freddie Mercury and a Greek grandmother. Every day I don't shave looks like an advert for Mexican Bandito Awareness Month. And a very important month it is too. Your face is the first thing people see when you walk through the door. Give them something to look at with Manscaped's Handyman. For me, being able to shave up to three days growth... More like half a day's growth. Good point. For me, being able to shave 12 hours of growth without the mess of traditional shaving is priceless. With the Handyman Skin Safe technology, I can reduce nicks and cuts and I can finally feel confident when going for that close shave. The compact design and airplane friendliness make this a perfect travel tool that you can take anywhere. And for the fellas with a little more juice in their papoose, Manscaped's Beard Hedger Pro Kit has everything you need to tame your mane without any pain in Spain. Did you add the Spain bit? Yep. Never do that again. 
Featuring their signature beard hedger, this thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. This cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. The Beard Hedger is a high-tech piece of art and a travel-sized package with a long-lasting battery, universal charging, and a strong motor. Trust me, gents, you can't go wrong with any of these options. That is absolutely true. My Greek grandmother used it and it gave her the smoothest shave she'd had in years. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TRIGGER20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code TRIGGER20. Hit the refresh button with the handyman. What have I told you about improvising? It's in the script. Unbelievable. It's really interesting that you bring up people like Kemi and conservative politicians. Yes. And the thing that I have always found very troubling about the way ethnic minority people, in particular, a certain subsection of ethnic minority people discuss these, these figures, yeah. is that they are a traitor to their race. Mm, yeah. And that, to me, just seems... It's racist. Yes. Let's, let's be oh, honest. That like, is I, I wouldn't use racist and <laughs> yeah. opposite yeah. there. That is racist. That yeah. is definitely racist. Um, and it's something that um, some people have leveled against me as well. Um, so, like anyone that deviates from that particular orthodoxy is viewed as a traitor um, and is um, demonized in that way just because they disagree with the view that racism doesn't explain everything in society. Um, it's, it's completely absurd. Well, I'll see you and I'll raise you a controversial <laughs> issue because uh, something I talked about in my book, but I'd be curious to get your take on it, which is slavery. And I find the way that people in Britain talk about slavery is just like, it's, I, I, I'm just like, what? How are we talking about it in this way? Because people everywhere throughout history had slaves yeah. and practiced slavery. Now, admittedly, the transatlantic slave trade because the Brits were the most technologically sophisticated yeah, yeah, nation yeah, in the world, they could yeah. transport slaves across oceans, etc. Sure. But broadly speaking, all big empires always had slaves and used them, right? Yeah, yeah. And the British were the first people, one of the very first big empires, in fact, the first empire to end slavery and mm. committed a lot of blood and treasure and so mm. on to doing it. But we have this unique obsession with it as, yeah. as some kind of like uniquely evil thing that people in this country did. Or when, colonialism more generally. Yeah. Right. And you're going, well... Yeah. And, and it's interesting because I went to the Museum of Slavery in Liverpool. Great museum, except they don't tell you who captured the slaves. You, well, maybe we should look into that as yeah, well. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. What do you make of the way that we talk about that issue? Yeah, I, I find discussions around slavery and colonialism extremely reductive. Um, because, um, as, as you rightly say, Constantine, um, slavery is um, a part of every historical civilization and society. Um, it makes sense why we would try to understand um, various aspects of slavery. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And try to understand whether those legacies um, still affect contemporary society. But to focus almost exclusively um, on slavery, um, where, for instance... Um, there are twice as many Asian people in the UK as there are black people. Um, and it's not clear to me how the um, transatlantic slave trade, for example, um, 
explains their own historical experiences. Um, and, and in the case of colonialism, of course, there are many, there are many um, terrible things that the British did um, under the auspices of colonialism. Um, but to simply view colonialism as just, um, just a succession of evil acts, to sort of view colonialism through the perspective of domination, I think is also historically um, provincial. Really, because... that's interesting because I, I've never made, the, I've never taken the argument that far. Okay, but I guess it sounds like what you're saying is colonialism also what, what, had what, what, benefits. What, 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 not, was not, 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 not benefits, but it was, it was it was a complex thing. So, for for example, an aspect of colonialism um, which um, isn't really um, acknowledged enough is the aspects of the missionaries. Um, so the reason why, um, for example, many um, West African leaders um, became anti-colonial in the first place was because many of them were educated in schools um, by missionaries. Uh, so in a paradoxical sense, there are certain aspects of colonialism that sort of fueled the seeds that ended up undermining colonialism in the first place. Um, and these missionary schools were, um, of course, Christian. Um, and many of the kind of, many of the values that these um, post-colonial leaders imbibed in these schools, um, values such as opposition to injustice of any kind, they came from these missionary teachers. Um, so in, in a sense, colonialism um, was um, paradoxical in, in that sense. I'm talking about British colonialism because of that, which is not to um, underplay or, or to underestimate the many evils perpetrated by um, colonizing powers or British colonizing powers in particular. It's just to say that there are nuances and there are complexities within that as well. So you're saying we're the good guys, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there was one, I was watching this programme. It's actually a really good programme, one of the few good programmes the BBC does, uh, called Who Do You Think You Are? Yes. And there was this beautifully, unintentionally hilarious moment yeah. where they got one of these celebrities. Yes. Uh, I, I can't remember who it was, a black lady. And they were talking about her ancestor, who was a slave. And yes. obviously, she was very upset by yes. this, understandably so. Yes. And then she went, well, this slave won, her, won his freedom. She was like, oh, marvellous. That's so good. And then they went, and then he went on to own slaves. Oof. And she was absolutely mortified. Yeah. And, it's, and it was, to me, it was this, it was, it was funny in a way because it was like, it's not simple. Yeah. Yeah. And this idea that we're presented with, yeah. and this, yeah. uh, this, how can I put it? Reductive. Reductive, reductive that's points. it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, reductive view of history. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, and it's I, it's nonsensical. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that kind of view of history as well also explains why there is this view that there is some sort of universal black identity mm. that black people around the world all share the same values and the, sh and the same beliefs and the same outlook. Um, and this is completely wrong um, from my own particular experience as well. So as I said at the, at the very start, um, I was born in Nigeria. Um, and in Nigeria, over 99% of the population is black. 
So you saying you don't have diversity? Have they not been told diversity is their strength? Not not racial diversity. Other, other types of diversity. So the um, so of course race is not at the forefront yeah. of the minds of the ordinary Nigerian, um, and race is not one of the factors that um, divide society. Um, other factors such as ethnic, tribal group, religion, um, region, or geography. Those are the things that shape the divisions within Nigerian society. Um, and and this, this became evident to me when um, last year um, my brother was getting married and my brother lives in America and he was getting married to um, an African-American woman, so a woman whose ancestors um, were enslaved Africans. And, and she um, brought along um, a lot of her family uh, members and friends to Nigeria, and I and I and I ex- assume that many of these Black Americans expected a kind of homecoming, a kind of return of the prodigal son or or daughter or whatever. Um, but the striking thing is that what struck many of these Nigerians was not the fact that these Black Americans were Black; it was the fact that these Black Americans were Americans. Mm. So the Americanness of them was the most striking thing to the Nigerians, um, which I think just goes to illustrate that race is not at the forefront of the minds of many African people themselves. Other things might shape the way that they look at Black Americans, Black British people, um, and Black people from across the rest of the world. So what you're saying is, and this is very controversial, <laughs> is that people's skin colour doesn't determine how they act and behave and think. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's incredible, man. That's such a radical this point It's a radical view. idea. Radical idea. Listen, it's, it's, a, it's a great book and it's great chatting to you as we start to move towards the end of the interview. What would be your message to mm. young people growing up in this country mm. um, who have been, you know, They've had this stuff shoved at them from sure. every social media sure. and media sure. and TV sure. and whatever. W- 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 how should people think about, um, you know, being from a minority background mm. in this country? No, oh, look, everyone's got a different experience. Yeah, but of course. What are some of the important things do you think that people should take away when they're being presented with, as you talk about in the book, a very Americanized, downloaded from Hollywood sort of yeah. narrative? Yeah. What's a what's a helpful way to think about? you know, uh, race relations in this country and so on? By going to their neighbours, by speaking to their friends, by observing what's going on in their local community, um, their cities, their towns, um, the wider country, um, simply by looking at each individual on their own terms rather than through the perspective of their racial background, whatever that might be or through any kind of assumption um, based on race or ethnicity. Um, It's by acknowledging that each person um, is both rooted in their own particular context, their own particular environments, but also at the same time, each person is endowed with a certain kind of indivisible moral dignity, a certain kind of universal... um, moral dignity and they should be looked at through that perspective as well rather than any kind of 
abstract ideas of, about what it means to be black. He's what really it means radical. He's saying you should treat people on the content of their characters. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah not the color of their skin. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it's weird. It is. It's outdated and frankly. Who it's just, said that? Yeah, some kind of yeah, some race traitor. There will be somebody who thinks Martin Luther King Jr. is a race traitor. No, absolutely. There probably are. Yeah, you know, but. Look, it's been a, a it's wonderful... It's been great. The book is called This Is Not America. Make sure to check it out. And the final question is... Not so the final question, because we're going to go to locals. <laughs> oh, okay. As we always do. But before okay. we go to locals. What's the one thing we're not talking about that we really should be? Could it be on anything? Anything, anything at all. Anything, anything. anything um, I think one issue is, um, and it's something I've been recently thinking about, is the... Um, I think we should be talking more about the negative impact of pornography on young men. Um... So one striking thing I've noticed is that um, many of my um, young male friends are being shown adverts, um, sort of advertising Viagra. Uh, which, really? which, yeah, 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 yeah. And this is something that, um, because erectile dysfunction, um, which is something we associate with older men, there's been a recent massive spike amongst younger men. Um, Pun intended. <laughs> And, and um, definitely, and, and and I think that um, I, I don't know if, if if pornography is definite definitely the factor that's inspiring influencing that, but um, I think it might well be. Um, and I think this this is of course a very awkward conversation to have because it speaks to um, something that's very intimate. But I think it's I think I think for in the future I think the um, negative deleterious effects of online pornography is something that will be a major social and policy question. Very interesting. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, join us uh, over on Locals where we continue the conversation with your questions and we'll probably uh, have a few more of our own. See you there. Is it possible to discuss race without also discussing class? Before you go, consider joining our exclusive member feed. As a member, you'll get ad-free and extended interviews. Click the membership link in the podcast description or find the exclusive episodes link on your podcast listening app to join us.